today? Are you doing good? The sun came out. Come on, somebody give Jesus a great big hallelujah shout. It's amazing. It's gonna get hot in here, guys. You should have showed up for the first service. But we're here. We're gonna weather the storm together. And I'm so glad you're here. And what a historic week this has been, guys. I mean, uh, it's just amazing. It's just one thing after another. Uh, living in the Western world right now, we just had a historic ruling by the Supreme Court. Roe versus Wade has been overturned this last week, which is incredible. Major victory for the kingdom of God. And uh, ultimately, there have been 61 million babies that have been aborted. Aborted. The vast majority of them over the last 50 years has been because they've been sacrificed essentially on the altar of personal preference and convenience. And so this is a major movement forward for the uh, the glory of God, the kingdom of God. And what I want to say to you, I don't have time to fully nuance this today, but I felt like some introductory statements were in order for us. Is that if you're here, and I just want to say, if you find yourself in the moment of an unplanned pregnancy, we love you so much. We do not have a shame culture here. We do not have a guilt culture here. We do not have a judgment condemnation here, uh, culture or condemnation culture here. We want to love you and serve you. And really, this is a moment for us as the church to double down on love and kindness, compassion and mercy, really seeking the broken and being the embodiment of Jesus to the world around us. I would remind you of the word of the words of Paul uh, in the letter of Romans. Do not be overcome by evil. Hello, somebody on Facebook and Instagram, but overcome evil with good. Amen. Can we do that today, ladies and gentlemen? Come on. I'm so excited. It's an amazing time to be alive. And what we're going to do today, everybody, is we're picking up our study in the book of Revelation. And uh, last week, we started this series called The Church of Jesus Heart, where mainly we're going to be looking at the letters to the seven churches uh, that were <clears throat> present in first century AD. These are real churches. Jesus is speaking into their context. And the reality is that he's speaking up to us today. And so we're asking the question, what is the church of Jesus's heart? And, and we're gonna see that over the next several weeks and months as we get into this phenomenal letter. And just for context, we've got John the apostle who is a disciple of Jesus, friend and a servant of Jesus. He loved Jesus. He's been following Jesus faithfully for multiple decades at this point. He's about 85 years old, exiled to the island of Patmos because he refused to worship Caesar as God. He, he said, you know what? No, Jesus is Lord. My allegiance is to him. And you can kill me if you want to, but I'm not, I'm not splitting my allegiance. Jesus has it all. And so ultimately the Roman Empire, they boiled him in oil. They exiled him to Patmos, which is a prison island. So think, think, you know, prison Mike and the Dementors. Think Alcatraz, think Azkaban, and you're getting pretty close. Okay, so that's the context. And the book opens up in verse one of Revelation 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's where the title of the book comes from. That's the summary statement of the entire book. It's all about the revelation of Jesus, that the whole book is about Jesus. Listen, friend, everything is about Jesus. And this is what you and I need in the midst of an increasingly polarizing culture, in the midst of the pain and the brokenness, the dysfunction, the sin, the, the sorrow that we face every single day. You do not need a bigger bank account. You do not need more vacation time and more time on the beach. You do not need the new kitchen and the bigger boat. You need, and I need, and we as the church of Jesus need a revelation of who Jesus is 
to weather the storm, amen? And so that's what, that's what John receives from Jesus. He's like, hey, listen, I know we got all this pressure right now. There's all this stuff going on. The church is in crisis. John, you're on Patmos. You're left to you know, bleach on the rocks and suffer and starve and die. And stuff is not looking very good. And this is fascinating. Jesus doesn't show up and just snap his fingers and make everything go away. What does he do for John? He shows up and he shows John who he is in the midst of his exile, in the midst of his suffering, in the midst of his pain. And this is what you and I need. This is what's gonna put steel in your spine in regard to the hardest and darkest, most painful moments of life is you encounter the risen, resurrected, glorified Jesus on the island of Patmos in exile. You see him for who he really is. And that's really what we're gonna wade our way into, guys. John, John essentially sees, he sees Jesus's hair and he writes about it. His eyes, his face, his garments, like his feet, his hands. What's in his hands? What's coming out of his mouth? He has this grand vision of Jesus. And this is the gift of Jesus to the church. He's saying, hey, listen, when everything's going crazy around you, you gotta look at me. And so that's what we're gonna do today, everybody. I am jacked because it's all about Jesus in church today, amen? And so this is, what we're gonna, this is what we're gonna do. We see this in verse 10. Look at this with me, jumping right into Revelation 1. John says this, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying. Now, first thing that John pulls our attention into is the voice of Jesus, right? And he says that Jesus's voice, it was like a trumpet. It was like a trumpet blast. It was loud. It was concise. It was clear. And of course, in the Old Testament, the trumpet was used to announce war or announce a king's presence or announce, uh, you know, an entrance into the temple for worship. And John is like, hey, the king is here, right? He's walking into the room and, and it's, his voice actually sounds like a trumpet. I mean, can you imagine this? I was thinking about this this last week. This is how you know Jesus has a sense of humor. John is on Patmos. He's exiled. He's by himself. He's in the spirit. He's in a posture of worship and prayer. He's got, you know, Chris Tomlin on how great is our God, right? He's just chilling out. And then all of a sudden, just super peaceful, all of a sudden, Jesus shows up behind him and he's like, hey, John, you know, like how awesome is that? And John's 85. It's amazing he didn't go into cardiac arrest. That's what I'm trying to say. But Jesus Jesus' voice is like a trumpet. And this is really important because what you need to understand is there's no way that this could have been something for John where he found some magic mushrooms on Patmos and he's tripping out. It says in verse 12, then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, that this wasn't something that John experienced in his mind or in his heart. He's having a full-fledged, real-life, legitimate encounter with the real man, the God-man Jesus, as Jesus is pulling back back the cover on his presence on Patmos with John, all right? That's what's going on here. And, and, and this, is, this is great because the, the voice of the Lord, it's the central focus of the text, right? Part of my job is to ask the question, what Jesus is the main focus of this text and how can we look at it, savor it, talk about it? Daryl Johnson, in his great book, Discipleship on Edge, says that the whole focus of the encounter is on the voice of Jesus. It shows up like four or five times in Revelation 1. His voice was like a trumpet. Then I turned to see the voice. His voice was like the roar of many waters. Verse 15. Verse 17. He laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, which means this, and this is so big. The foundational aspect and principle of discipleship, you want to know what it is? Listening to the voice of Jesus. 
We could just boil this whole thing down and say, you want discipleship 101, Christianity 101? You wanna know what it's all about? You just sit at his feet and you listen to what he has to say, right? This is what John is causing us to focus on. And so, and, and, you know, it's actually interesting. When you get to the seven letters, the one common exhortation that Jesus has for every single one of the churches in Ephesus and Pergamum and Smyrna, Thyatira, Laodicea, and on and on is what? It's listen, any, any who have an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. So the question is, well, you know, Jesus is speaking into your life and are you hearing it, right? That's the point because he's the speaking God, guys. We see that all the way back on page one in the book, Genesis chapter one. God spoke and the planet came into existence, right? And, and that's what, he's the speaking God. So he's speaking over your life. Jesus says in John 10, my sheep hear my voice. And my question for you is, are you hearing what he actually has to say because the reality is we live in so much noise we live in so much chaos we live in so much advertising culture and all this craziness and all these voices and we got fox news and cnn and they're all false prophets shut them down and just go read your bible okay you know like like this we've got all these noises speaking into our lives and the question is are you missing the voice of the lord behind all of the noise and this is really important because now let me just get into this for a second longer because a lot of us what happens is if we walk for God with any, for any length of time, we get this sort of stuff, we can get weird. And we think that we're hearing God speak to us, but all that we're doing is projecting onto God what we want him to say into our situation. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Guys, I'm like the king of this. This is what we do. And I'll give you a few examples. You know, and, and, and ladies, let me just pick on you for a second because you might be here, you're single, that's great. We lot of, got a lot of really awesome single dudes here that are looking for uh, somebody like you. And church is a great place to meet somebody. But this is what happens for ladies often. It's like, you know what? God, I met this guy, he's really cute. And you know, I would just love to, you know, kind of see what is happening here. And if there's some potential, are you cool with it? You're cool with it? Okay, cool. You know, and meanwhile, the Lord's like, no, this is just, this is bad. All right. Like ladies, there's actually a follow-up question that we should ask. Not just, is he cute? But how about, you know, like, can he read? For example, you know, can... <laughs> looks, sure, but can he read, you know, and this is what we do, we end up projecting what God wants to, what we want God to say onto our situation, we just move in that direction, or hey, you know what, I can't stand the place where I live, everything's crazy, Washington State has lost its mind, and Bellingham has lost its mind, and I gotta pull the eject button and get out of Dodge, because it's crazy, right, like, and so, and, and, and you know, God, what do you think about it now, all of a sudden, God's like, oh yeah, I think you should move, or I don't like my job, and now all of a sudden, God's talking to me about leaving my job, or I don't like my spouse. I kid you not, I have had this more happen more times than I would care to admit. People coming up to me as a pastor and saying, hey, Jesus is calling me to divorce my spouse and go and marry this person over here. Is that the voice of the Lord or not, everybody? Let's just do some quick rhetorical question and answer. No, it's absolutely not, right? And this is, this is actually what's fascinating. I was thinking about this. I have never had somebody come up to me as a, as a pastor and say, hey, you know what, pastor? I just had this really amazing moment with Jesus and I just see this idea of long suffering and faithfulness in the Bible and I really feel like God's calling me to lay my life down for New Song Church and I'm gonna stay, I'm gonna get in covenant with this church community. I'm gonna wash the toilets if I have to for a decade just to prove faithfulness and I am not leaving. I've never had anybody say that but you know what, if they did, they'd probably get a job here, okay? Like that's, so if you're like, don't try to, don't, don't get in ministry. There's so many more other great things that you can do with your life but that's the reality. I've never had that happen. And guys, it begs the question, what about faithfulness, right? 
What about obedience in the same direction over a very long period of time? That, that, that hypothetical situation, that to me sounds a lot more like the Lord than, you know, I'm just gonna just hop up and go over here and then go over here and never really root, never really get engaged, never really get involved because this is what we do in church. We'll show up to a church for a little bit. We'll engage, sort of, but not really. We'll give, sort of, but not really. We'll get in community, sort of, but not really. We'll kind of submit to leadership, sort of, but not really. You guys know what I'm talking about? Come on, don't look at me like that. This is what we do. This is human nature. This is the Christian church in the West. And that is why we're not winning, y'all. It's because everybody is bailing. Everybody's leaving and you're here and you're committed and that's great. I wanna champion you and I wanna encourage you in that. Listen, that was my heart when I showed up here. Jesus was like, hey, Taylor, you, I wasn't even on staff. Jesus was like, you're gonna stay here. You're gonna lay your life down. It's been a decade of long suffering and obedience in the same direction, okay? I'm not just gonna paint this perfect picture. Oh yeah, it's been great. Dude, it's been suffering, all right? And, and, that's, and that's, that's part of the point. Just because something is hard, it doesn't mean that it's not God. Just because something hurts, it doesn't mean that it's not God saying, yes, continue to go in this direction. Yes, continue to press into community. Yes, continue to press into relationships with the people in this room right now around you as your church family. So let me just do this really quick. Really quick primer on how to hear God's voice. Two things, really practical. Write it down. Read your Bible a lot, okay? Right there. Read your Bible a lot. Every day, morning, noon, and night, you're in the scriptures. You're hearing God's word. You're speaking it to yourself. You're meditating. All of a sudden, you're gonna start to hear him speak more. Number two, get in covenant with Christians. Like really actually get in covenant and saying, hey, you know what? Like I'm submitting my life in your direction. I want you to speak into what you see in my life. I'm not leaving anywhere. I'm not pulling the eject button. I'm here for good. This is my people. This is my community. And I'm gonna wait for the leading of the spirit. And there's gonna be a communal witness if there is some sort of big move or life transition that has to happen. And this is really important because uh, God is after faithfulness. Amen. Can I just remind you that the fruit of the spirit is faithfulness and long suffering. It's not pull the eject button when stuff goes crazy. Amen? Okay, so his voice is like a trumpet. That's the point. And this is what we need. We need to hear the clear, distinct, and loud voice of Jesus in the midst of so much noise. This is what we need more than ever. So the question for you is, what's he saying over your life? What's he saying? What is Jesus saying about you and your circumstances. He's speaking into all regards of your life. And the question is, are we actually hearing it? And of course, God gives us each other and the scriptures to figure that out together. His voice is like a trumpet. Number two, we see this in verses 12 and 13. Look at this with me. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man. Now, that idea of Jesus as the son of man, this is really critical. This is really big. John is not like, yeah, Jesus is human. This is so much more than Jesus as a person, as a man. John is steeped in Old Testament literature. He is being hearkened back to Daniel chapter seven and this image of the son of man who approaches the ancient of days, God on the throne, and the ancient of days hands all dominion and power and nations over to this son of man figure. And John is seeing Jesus right now as the son of man, unto whom all kings 
kingdoms of the earth will be given over to. Unto whom all knee, will, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. This is Jesus as the Son. Listen, guys, this is why. And let me just speak to you. If you're here, you're an atheist, you're a skeptic. I'm so glad you're here. We love you. We really exist for you, that you would enter into a relationship with Jesus and, and, and better understand who he is, just as we're all growing in our understanding, right? But this is why it is the worst decision that you could ever possibly make to relegate Jesus to the realm of some dude who said some good stuff a couple thousand years ago. This is why you can't do that. And this is what the modern mind wants to do with Jesus, is we put him on the same platform with Gandhi, with Buddha, with Tony Robbins. He's a self-help guru, you know, like new age philosopher, thinker, and all about loving people as yourself and sacrifice. And that is, of course, to miss the entire point of who Jesus is as the son of man. Listen, you came from him. You're going to stand before him. You're going to give an account on behalf of your life. And his kingdom is going to literally swallow up every other kingdom. All right. So you could build yours. You could build his. I'd encourage you to build his because his is going to beat yours out in the end. And this is going to be a bad day. And his is way better anyways. So John is seeing Jesus as the son of man. But also we see Jesus as, you know, he's standing in the midst of the golden lampstands. He says in verse 12. Now that's really interesting because later on in the revelation, John tells us that the lampstands actually represent something because the, the book of revelation, much of it is symbolic. Much of it is apocalyptic literature. It's not meant to be taken literally. And this is where, of course, we get really weird. You know, it's not going to be a literal dragon at the end of the age. Uh, sorry to burst your bubble because you're approaching the book of revelation as a Western thinker. That's not what's going to happen. Much of this is image, imagery and symbolism. And Jesus says that the seven lampstands are the actual seven churches here represented in Revelation chapter one through three. Now, this is really amazing because why? John says that he sees Jesus in the middle of the lampstand, right? In the middle of the church. Like, how crazy is that, guys? Like, he's like, he's like listen, Jesus is not the voice like out there speaking down to us as people. He's not on the outside looking in. Jesus Christ is the very center of the church. He's the voice from the middle. And this is, the, this is what John is seeing here, right? He's like, hey, John, you remember when, when, you know, Matthew 28, after I resurrected from the dead and I promised you that I'd never leave you or forsake you. And even though your stuff looks pretty bad right now and you're having a really bad day, look, I know you might be having a bad day. It wasn't as bad as John's. The dude just got boiled in oil and he's exiled on a prison island, all right? You might be going through some stuff. You totally are. He was having a worse week, okay? And so, and, and he's, he's in the spirit on the Lord's day and he's like, Jesus, you're faithful to your promise. You said you're never gonna leave me. You're never gonna forsake me. And of course, Jesus shows up, pulls back the curtain. He's like, surprise, what's up? You're right, I'm here. Why? Because Jesus is in the middle of it with you guys. And this is what is gonna put steel in your spine when you go through life's most difficult, hard, and painful moments is you allow the Holy Spirit to unveil, to unbox, to uncover the very real, tangible presence of Jesus in the middle of exile, in the middle of your suffering, in the middle of your pain, that Jesus will never leave you and that Jesus will never forsake you. I mean, think about that right now. This Jesus, I mean, think about this is like, like we've got to have a moment of reverence here, okay? This Jesus is literally right in the middle of this room. 
right now. Like, it's amazing that we are all still alive, okay? Like, he's, I mean, seriously, think about it. I, so the question is, do you come to church expectant to see him move? Because he's here. I mean, we're gonna see him. He's holding stars. He's got a sword coming out of his mouth. His eyes are fire, right? He's got the keys of death and hell. Like, he's, the, he's alive forever. It says in Revelation 1, he's the ruler of kings of the earth. Like, do you actually show up to this space expectant to see God move, expectant to see God deliver, expectant to see God heal because he's here like right now like I'm even amazed I can still preach right now like Jesus is right here present in the room this is holy and this is sacred space he's in the middle of this church gathering it's beautiful he never leaves and he never forsakes and in fact carried he's a, a, a theologian and he says this, he, meaning Jesus, is no absentee who is withdrawn from the earth at his ascension to return only at his parousia. That's his second coming. Meanwhile, exercising his authority over the churches by remote control. He is present among the earthly congregations of his people. And whatever John has later to say about the coming of Christ must be interpreted in the light of this salient fact. Meaning what? Guys, let's show up full of faith. Let's show up expectant. If your faith has been down here, shoot it through the roof. Like we could see God do an amazing work in your life. He's not way over there at the end of the universe. He's present here to heal, to save, to deliver right now. He's in the middle of the church. And John goes on in verse 13, and he says that Jesus is clothed with a long robe and a golden sash around his chest. Now, this is not, you know, cross-dressing Jesus right here. These are actually, these are priestly garments. Like, Jesus is portrayed in the New Testament as the new and the better great high priest. That's a major theme in the book of Hebrews. And in fact, the word priest in the Greek is pontifax, and it's an architectural term, like a bridge builder. And to be a bridge builder, you have to know both sides of the canyon well. And Jesus, of course, this is why he is the great high priest, because he knows both sides of the canon. He is fully human, and yet he is fully divine. He knows, he was tempted in every regard like you and I. He's fully man, but also at the same time without sin, fully divine. He has bridged the gap between humanity and divinity through his sacrificial death, burial, and resurrection, right? So he's done everything. Everything's been completed, y'all. For you to be forgiven of sin, he's beaten death. He's got the keys right now. You can have newness of life because he is the true and the better high priest. In fact, in the old covenant system of temple, the priest would take the animal, they would slaughter the animal, they would put the blood on the altar to cover over the sins of the people. But it was never enough to actually remove sin. And that's why the Jewish nation continued to make sacrifices every year. Now, of course, Jesus shows up. How many times did he die? One time, right? Once and for all, it was a completed and a finished work, right? And this is why we don't sacrifice animals, because Jesus is the true and the better high priest. Listen, the blood of Jesus is better, right? The sacrifice of Jesus is better. In fact, how many of you know, just being with Jesus, everything's better, right? Literally everything is better with Jesus. That's the point. He is the true and the better and the greater high priest. And that's what the robe is about. But we also see this image of the sash. And this is, we miss this stuff, guys. This is amazing. Are you ready for this? So the, the priest, what they would do is if the sash was around the waist, they were still working, but if it was around the chest, their work had been completed and they were in a position of rest. Let's go. Where's the sash around Jesus as the true and better high priest? It's around his chest. 
Meaning John is being reminded, hey John, in the midst of everything that's going crazy and it looks like all of the work of Christianity and, and you know, like we're on the decline, everything's moving backward, like we're not winning but we're losing, everything looks really bad. John is receiving this vision of Jesus that wow, the sash is around his chest, guys. Like he's being reminded that the work of the cross was completed. In fact, Daryl Johnson talks about this in Discipleship on Edge. Fascinating, incredible writing uh, book on uh, the book of Revelation. And, and he talks about Revelation 19. You know, we all have this like Armageddon last day left behind series type vision of the end of all things where Jesus is gonna come and it's gonna be this great big battle and struggle and like this great big fight that's gonna happen. He's like, hey, listen, it's never gonna happen. Why? Then I'm gonna get an email about that Okay, I'm, I'm preemptively, I know, but it's not gonna happen. Why? Because it already happened on the cross. What does Jesus say? It is finished, guys, and that's what we gotta do. Listen, the sash is around the chest. That's why you can have peace right now. That's why you can find rest right now because there is no longer a question of if this thing is all gonna work out in the end. His sash is around his chest. He is the ruling, reigning, conquering king. He is the great and true high priest. He is in a position of rest, and that's why you can curl right up on his lap, and even though it doesn't look good in your situation and your life right now, you can know just as he was faithful to come, to live, to suffer, to bleed, to die, to rise to newness of life, that he is going to give you everything that you need for life and for godliness. And all of his promises are yes and amen. His sash is around his chest. It's beautiful. And now John, what he does is he starts reaching for language. Like, okay, like, like, like his, his hair was like this. His eyes were like this. His feet were like this. What John is trying, he's scraping at here is like, Jesus is so fascinating and he's so brilliant and he's so different than I thought he was and he's so amazing and I don't even have words to describe it, right? This, and this, is, this flies in the face of so many of our vision of Jesus and who he is, right? Because let's be real, anybody grow up in church with felt board Jesus? You guys know what I'm talking about, Sunday school? You got the felt board imagery and you know, he's like, like Jesus is kind of like he's got his pressed robe, he's got the sash and he's just kind of like leaning in barefoot, knocking on the door with that little smile like you know like a mattress salesman or something like that's just that's the Jesus that we grew up with and John is like we have missed it we like his eyes are like fire his hair is like whiter than snow like I don't even know how to describe it he's got a robe of light his feet are like burnished right he's like reaching for language and he's like Jesus is incredible and I don't even have words for it and my question for you is is that true in your life are you fascinated by Jesus right or are you bored with Jesus? Let me tell you, John was not bored with what he saw, all right? This is like the most epic thing that he has ever seen and ever encountered and, you know, changed his life and the trajectory of the church forever. And in fact, it says that he fell at Jesus' feet as though he was dead, right? That's very different than the friendly neighborhood Jesus that we grew up with in our minds. That's just like very, you know, nonchalant and has a weak smile and sort of winks at us in our sins and our pranks and all of our sort of, no, his eyes are on fire, y'all. He's got a sword coming out of his mouth. Like, is that your paradigm for Jesus? Because that is the Jesus of the right here and the right now. So let's start to talk about this. He says in verse 14 that his, the hairs of his head were white like white wool, 
white as snow. Now, let me just ask a question. We got any gray hair in the room? Come on, be honest, raise your hand. You'd be proud of this, all right? You raise that hand loud and proud. We got some gray hair, right? And that's great. What does that mean? That means you've been around for a little bit, right? It's, it's hypothetically the image of wisdom and of, you know, I know some stuff, all right? So you wear that. In fact, I had a sixth grade teacher who would actually, he dyed his hair touch of gray for some, I, I still, to this day, I don't understand it. But anyways, it's the sign of wisdom. It's the sign of, yeah, I've been here for a little bit. I've got some stuff to stay. And also, John is being hearkened back to the Daniel 7 account of the Ancient of Days because it says specifically that the Ancient of Days, his hair is what? Whiter than snow, white as wool. Meaning Jesus Christ shares the same characteristics as God because he's God. That's what's going on here. Everything that John is seeing is intentional. It's meant to convey a message and share about Jesus, something about him to us. And, and Jesus, we're seeing his wisdom. We're seeing his divinity. We're seeing his likeness is the same as the ancient of days. In fact, Gerald Johnson has this great quote about Jesus' hair and what it means here. If we could pull that up here. Head and hair, white like wool, like snow. The words declare the agelessness of Jesus Christ. He was there before the beginning. He will be there after the end. He is here in the middle. He has been around to see it all. The rise and fall of ancient Assyria and Babylon and Persia, the rise and fall of Greece and Rome, the rise and fall of the world-dominating empires of Spain and Britain. He has been around and watched the ascent and collapse of ideologies of apartheid, Marxism, Darwinism. Rulers have had their day. Systems of thought have had their day, but he keeps on standing. And why this is really important is because a lot of times, and this is the modern mind, what we do with Jesus, we're like the rebellious, annoying teenager that thinks that they know everything in life. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Right? I was totally that guy. I know exactly what that means. I was that 13-year-old was like, man, my mom and dad are dumb. Like, I'm gonna, they don't know anything, you know? And then I grew up and I was like, I'm sorry, guys. I'm the idiot. You, you were trying to, you were right, you know? Mom, you were right. Dad, you were right. Kids, get it figured out now, all right? I'm trying to save you pain. And it's amazing how quickly this comes out. Out, right? I mean, I've got a two-year-old and a four-year-old. We're in the car, and you know, Asher, I love him so much. He's just like from the back seat. This is amazing. He was like, Dad, you, I kid you not, right? I like to drive the, 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 speed, the speed limit. I'm a defensive driver. And he's like, Dad, you are driving too slow. Four years old. <laughs> it's amazing. And I'm like, I'm like, son, no, 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 no. No, you don't know what you're talking about. And he's like, no, dad, no, 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 no. You don't know what you're talking about. You're driving too slow. You need to pick up the pace. You know, I love it. He's on the go. He's aggressive. He's a go-getter. I'm just trying to get that out of him and tweaked in a way where he doesn't end up with a felony before he's 18 years old, right? Like, like his uncle, actually. That's what we're trying to avoid. But, you know, like that's, that's the point. This is what we do with Jesus, right? We do this as modern people all the time. Right? Like we, we just say, hey, you know what, Jesus, I know you said do this, but I think I got a better way. I know you said this is the way of human flourishing, but I think sleeping with everybody and anybody that I can is kind of the way of life. And that's what I'm going to go at. I, and, and this is the point. He has been around for a while, y'all. And he's going to around, be around for a lot longer than you and I are here. You want the way of flourishing? You want to know what it is? You sit at his feet and you let him be your rabbi, your teacher, and your guide. That's the image of the white hair. He is infinitely wise, and we would be wise to seek his counsel more. And in verse 14, uh, in addition, John goes on and he says, his eyes, the, the, the vision pans to his eyes, and he says, his eyes were like a flame of fire. Now, what's, this, what's going on here so much? 
Eyes are the window to the soul. The eyes give you away. Eyes of fire, it's this idea that Jesus is not only pure, but he's purifying. That he sees deep into the recesses of your heart. And this is the crazy part. Okay, you ready for this? Like he sees everything. There's no hiding from Jesus. I know you think you might be getting away with your porn addiction from your wife or from your husband or from you know God and he just doesn't see and he doesn't care whatever it is in your life. I'm telling you, Jesus sees it. He knows everything in your life and your heart is exposed before his eyes of flaming fire. But also get this, you ready? Fire, it's also the image of desire. Did you know that Jesus has, like the desire that he has in his heart for you, it comes out of his eyes like fire. I mean, think about how crazy that is. Like Jesus actually really likes you, all right? Like you believe that. In fact, I'm convinced that we don't because that's why the church is a disaster when we get into that category is because we're not living locked with the gaze of the eyes of fire within Jesus's skull and living in the revelation of his desire in our direction. Listen, I've heard it said once that that God is theologically required to love you, but he actually really likes you. It's like, I remember when Marissa and I, we started, uh, we just met and I was a complete disaster. Uh, It was a horrible story for a different time. I'm an idiot. I totally like embarrassed myself so bad. But it worked. She, we're married. We got two kids. It's amazing. And never been happier. At least I, I'm not. We have to talk to her and make sure that's reciprocal. But love each other, baby. Love me. Okay, good. All right. I think we're on the same page. But I remember when we first met, guys, I was crazy. I went stalker mode. We had one conversation. I'm just like, oh my gosh, I love this girl. Like she's like classic Christian cliche ridiculousness. I love her. I'm going to marry her. We had a half a conversation. She made my coffee at Woods. All right. Like that's it. And now all of a sudden I'm going to marry her. And I go home to my roommate who is Jeremy Schwader, a pastor, founding pastor of Bless the City Church. We love them so much. He was on staff here at one point at New Song. And, uh, uh, you know, I went home and I was like, Jeremy, I met my wife. I love her. She's beautiful. It's going to be great. We're going to have a million kids together and it's going to be awesome. And he's like, Taylor, shut up. You're an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. You just met her. And I'm like, no, you're going to see, man. And I would like to say publicly. (laughs) He was wrong. Okay. So I was right. So if you need some dating advice, I'm batting pretty good at this point. I would love to help. Okay. So that, but you know, I went crazy stalker mode. I'm like stalking her Instagram, stalking her Facebook. I learned where she lived. I don't even know how it's terrible. I'm telling you guys, I should have been arrested for being a freak. Okay. It was really, I'm stalking her. But then, and my heart is just crazy. I'm, I'm losing sleep. She's in my head all the time. And, and what happened was I found out that she liked me back. All right. And then I was the most miserable person to be around for like six plus months. Okay. You guys know how it is. You, get, you fall in love with somebody and it's like all of a sudden your friends hate you and everybody just wants you to go away because you're annoying and they just can't stand you. That was, that was us, still is, I hope. But you know, like that's, that's where we were. Like it, it, was, it was one thing when I liked her, but it was another thing altogether when I realized, wait, you like me back? Like, are you sure? Like, maybe we should have a conversation about this before you decide. Anyway, it was totally different. And guys, in the same way, let me just say, his eyes are fire. Like he's jealous over your life. He has desire, like God, the son of man, right? Like Jesus Christ himself. He has desire in his heart and it's coming out of his eyeballs of fire. That's overwhelming. That's life-changing. That means that he's, like it doesn't change on your worst day, everybody, by the way. Like Jesus still desires you. He still loves you. He still is for you. John says, listen, I actually really like you. That's what's going on. In verse 15, it says that his feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. 
It's amazing. This, again, is hearkening back to the Daniel account. You guys remember Nebuchadnezzar? He has the vision, the dream of the statue. The head was made out of this, the chest out of this, the legs out of this. The feet were made out of clay and iron mixed together. Ultimately, it was symbolic of all of these different nations, and it all comes crashing down. And now we get this vision of Jesus that his feet are burnished bronze. They are firm. They are steady. They are unshakable. He is steadfast. He's been here for a long time and his kingdom is the one that is going to stand out in the end because it's founded on his feet that are as strong as burnished bronze refined in fire. And this is why it's like, again, like you have to be somebody, you got two choices. You can build your kingdom or you can help Jesus build his and be a part of the greatest story of human history. The reality is every kingdom is going to ultimately clash with his and it's gonna be a bad day, right? Because he's gonna win out in the end. His feet are burnished bronze and this is why we need to surrender our life in his direction. Number eight, it says in verse 16 that Jesus in his right hand, he holds the seven stars. Now we see in Revelation chapter one that the stars represent the angelos in the Greek is the word and there's some debate about this. Does it mean pastors or does it mean actually legitimately there are angels assigned to every single church? I think it's ultimately both but I also think there's something else that's going on here and in fact, in first century Greco-Roman culture, there was a Greek goddess named Hecate. And Hecate was imaged as holding the seven stars of the known galaxy at that time in her right hand. And she called herself the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And now here is Jesus totally assaulting and offending that modern day Greco-Roman vision of God and saying, you know what? I got the seven stars. He's got the whole, come on, help me now, world in his Hands, that's the idea. He's got everything in his hands. John is like, wow, Jesus is the sovereign of everything. He's in control. He's the God of the cosmos. Like, what is that? In fact, Colossians chapter one, verse seven, talks about how Jesus, by the word of his power, you know what he's doing? Just the words that are coming out of his mouth? He's upholding the entire universe. That means that if Jesus himself stops speaking, everything blows up in a billion different little pieces. That you exist, I exist, we exist, the planets exist because only because Jesus who holds the seven stars wills it to continue to have existence. And he's giving you another day to feel your way to himself. Verse 16, moving right along here, it says this, his face was shining like the sun in all of its strength. Think about that. That's so beautiful. This has just been so striking to me this last week. His face is shining like the sun in all of its strength. My question for you is when you look at Jesus looking back at you in your subconscious mind. In fact, close your eyes. Let's just do a little exercise here. Community team, go ahead and come on up. Worship team, go ahead and come on up. Just go ahead and close your eyes for a second. And I wanna just ask you a question. If you were to imagine Jesus standing before you right now and looking at you, just in front of you, nobody else, it's just you and him in the room. What do you see in your subconscious mind's eye when you look at him? Can you say with John, I see his face shining like the sun in all of its strength? Because if we're honest, guys, I think, I think we've, we've got kind of a bit more of a gray and gloomy God that looks a little bit more like the weather patterns here in the Pacific Northwest, right? It's just gray, it's depressing, it's gloomy, he's mad, he's angry, He's upset. It's the vision that you have 
of Jesus in your mind. Go ahead and open your eyes. Have you noticed that when the sun comes out around here, people are just nice? Have you noticed that? Right? It's like, you know, like your neighbor just hates you, but all of a sudden this last weekend, they're out mowing the lawn like, hey, neighbor, you know, how you doing? It's like, sun comes out, everybody here in Bellingham is like, you know, just like, give me vitamin D, you know? Like that's what we, everybody just gets nice and happy. Why? Because the sun is warm. It's inviting. It's life giving. Did you know that Jesus, his face right now, as he looks in your direction, is shining like the sun? He's got a smile on his face. What is the Jesus that you see when you look at him looking back in your direction? Does it cause you to be afraid? Are you afraid? Oh man, if I just if I mess up again, he's just gonna really, he's gonna take me out, you know? Like what do you have fear? Are you afraid that Jesus is just gonna, you know, condemn you and just judge you and take that lightning bolt and just ping, shoot it right into you and just do away with you. Like what happens when you think about him? This is revolutionary for every single one of us in this room right now. His face is shining like the sun in all of its strength. And, and look, look at this. this, this is amazing. This is how we're gonna conclude today. John says this in verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Why? Because being in front of Jesus is like the roar of every single ocean crashing down on you. It's like you're before a furnace at full blast. It's like the sun shining on you in full strength. Like it's an overwhelming thing. This isn't felt bored Jesus. This is the real Jesus. He's different and so much better than we thought. He falls on his face as though he was dead, but this gets really good, okay? But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I'm alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. I mean, think about that. This is so crazy. Think about the context. Fear not, Jesus. Are you joking? Like the church is in decline, right? The progressive theologies of the day are taken over. We've got Christians worshiping Caesar and worshiping Jesus at the same time and thinking that it's cool. We got division. We got sexual immorality in the church. John's freaking out. John is a leader in the church and he can't do anything about any of it because he's on Patmos. He, you know, like everything is really bad right now. And Jesus shows up in the middle of it. And this is so maddening. He puts his hand on John and he says, don't be afraid. What? Are you kidding me? Like, Jesus, are you, are you out of touch with reality? Do you not want to know what I'm going through? Like, were you not, did you not hear the diagnosis that I got or the sickness that I have or, or the, the dysfunction and the pain of my family, the suffering that I find myself in, the brokenness of my current situation? Fear not. What are you talking about? Like, go outside your room any day, guys. I'll just leave your house. You've got literally a thousand reasons to be discouraged and to be freaking out. And yet here, Jesus, he shows up in the middle of all of this reason to despair. And the first thing he says, says, don't be afraid. <laughs> don't be afraid, Johnny boy. I got the whole world in my hands. <laughs> Does anybody need to hear that in church today? Come on. Hey, don't be afraid. I'm the, I'm, I'm the living one. I've got, I've got the keys, says Jesus. Meaning what? He beat death, y'all. He beat it, crushed it. Raised to newness of life. Jesus died for you because of you instead of you on the cross as your substitutionary sacrifice. 
raised to life three days later. Literally, it was a literal resurrection that happened as your substitute so you could be forgiven of sin, have eternal life secured in Jesus, and experience newness of life right now as he sends the Holy Spirit to fill you, to transform you, and to change your life. Jesus is like, don't be afraid, right? Because why? Because why? Jesus is showing John, I am the true reality. Don't get caught up in thinking, everybody, that this world of tangibles and what you see, taste, touch, smell, and experience through your five senses is what's really real. It is real, but there's a greater reality behind the veil, and his name is Jesus, and he's got the key. So my question for you as we approach the communion table is this. What are you afraid of? Let me think about it. What are, you, what are you afraid of? Jesus literally walking straight up to John, fear not, fear not, fear not. Why? I'm the living one. I died and behold, I'm alive forevermore. He's bringing John back to the death and the resurrection of Jesus, right? That's what communion's all about. He's like, don't be afraid. My blood has been spilled. My body has been broken. I'm alive forever. This whole thing, it worked, right? Like I'm here, I'm really alive and you can be too. What are you afraid of? Where is fear grips your heart? It's gonna be different for all of us. Is it money? Is it, man, I'm getting older and I'm still single, you know? Like, got a timer on, you know? And, and I, I just don't even know if I'm ever gonna find somebody. Is it the stock market? Is it the crazy world in which we live? Is it sickness? Is it, I mean, what, what is it? Where are you living in fear? Are you just an anxious and worried person that whose eyes are just on yourself? This is what Jesus does is he says, fear not. Why look at me? Be reminded of who I am. What are you afraid of? Can we just enter into time of communion here and just give those fears over to Jesus? You know, that's the most actually frequently commanded thing in the Bible. Don't be afraid. Fear not. Also the most disobeyed commandment in the Bible, I would add to that as well. And why? It's because we just don't have a vision of Jesus. So would you stand with me? I wanna pray for you, I wanna pray for us. And we're gonna dump some fear at the feet of Jesus, the living one, the resurrected King of glory today, everybody whose face is shining like the sun in all of its strength. Jesus, we bless you. Lord, I pray for living encounters uh, right now as we approach the communion table, that this would be a means of an impartation of supernatural grace. As we remember, we reflect on your broken body, your shed blood, that you were faithful to come, live, die, raised from death, death. You hold the keys. And if you're going to free us from death, you also are going to give us all things that we need for life and godliness. You've already given us everything, Lord God. And so we choose to be a people of peace in the midst of anxiety. Lord, I pray that you would come and examine us and search us, Lord God, wherever we've got fear. Lord Jesus, would we experience you in this moment of communion, laying your right hand on us and saying, fear not. My body has been broken. My blood has been shed. I love you and I'm for you. My face is shining like the sun in your direction. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. All right, guys, I'm gonna invite you forward. Go ahead and